This is The Hike, a limited series. Conversations with independent advisors and home office employees. Stay focused, learn something, and keep moving forward. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another limited series episode of The Hike. We're excited to have you here and um, for you to continue to join in our conversations. We have another great guest for you today. I'm Val Vest um, with Cambridge Investment Research and here with my co-host, Andrew Evans. Hey, good morning. Great, you know, for those, the, for those that actually listen to this or have watched it, it's great for them to be back. We have some really great content, really great uh, programming today. Uh, Susan Suki's with uh, Mosaic. Um, and I, I will say with, um, you know, our, our sister company, uh, Tag Wealth, uh, here to speak on uh, uh, women advisors uh, in the industry and um, challenges faced and ways to uh, promote and develop um, women in the business. Um, so, Susan, welcome. Welcome, Thank you, welcome. Peter. Thank you, Val. Silly. Yeah. The, the thing that people need to know is that uh, Susan's very competitive and her team beat <laughs> my team last week and she, oh. she didn't pull any punches. Like she's just pretty, she's pretty tough about it. The Cleveland like Browns, it. yes. It's such an anomaly. We've got to enjoy it when we can. It's true. For sure. It's true. I like how Susan at first, you're like, oh, I'm not competitive. Oh yeah, I did beat him last week. <laughs> but I do like trash talk. I do like trash talk anytime I can get it. Well, well-deserved trash talk. I mean, they, uh, the Browns did put the whooping uh, on the Steelers. And <laughs> so therefore they, you know, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. It's, and I have to say, it's the fourth football game I've watched this year. So it's not like, not like I'm at the television every Sunday, but it was good. And I'll be there this Sunday for sure, because that's a long shot. Yeah. I, you never, that's why you play the game. I'm, yeah, exactly. That's why you play the game. That's why I play the game. Uh, so today, um, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, it, it's, uh, I'd say it, you know, the focus in the industry, the the items that have been popping up, um, you know, the need for inclusion and diversity. Before we get too far into that, I, I've I've got to say, I've always been uh, since I started in the business, I've always been perplexed why this has been more of a uh, the industry has been more of a boys' club, um, and I say that from the standpoint of where what I grew up with. I mean, I grew up in a house with four women. Um, you know, we had a very matriarchal or still do have a matriarchal, uh, uh, household, you know, raised by my grandmother. My mother was a single, single mom raising three kids. So for all of those things, I always thought to myself, like, what, why is this place always, you know, dudes and why is everybody so angry all the time? <laughs> this is just kind of odd. So I, um, as these things come up, I'm a full supporter of it, uh, because I never really understood why it isn't more open and inclusive. Um, I guess that that's not a very woke thing to say, but I just don't know. It, it's, you know, if you grow up without, you know, um, you grow up without a, you know, a power windows, what do you know of power windows? It doesn't necessarily. So I didn't grow up without uh, engagement, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with women around my life, with uh, everybody having, having uh, equal say in, in all things. So it's just been of interest. Um, so that's my, that's my opening statement, but uh, uh, Susan, I mean, what uh, can you give us background 
um, as to how you got here um, sure. and you know what has your uh, what what's your bio what's your career been like sure well happy to Andrew and it's curious I'll go back to the fact that we stored it, started this conversation with a uh, sports conversation which women in our industry are very accustomed to whether we're chatting about golf when they don't play golf or we're talking about sports when they don't follow sports or and tons of women follow sports but there are a lot of just assumptions I think in our industry I came to the industry as many women do I think on a, a a winding path, um, unless you come straight out of college as a finance major, it is something that is, um, I say, a career that takes a lot of different skill sets. Obviously, you have to be able to relate to people. You have to have a certain level of maturity and knowledge because financial service in, services industry is so broad. Um, and so you don't necessarily come out of that at 22 or 23. So um, I took a very non-traditional path, used to own a business, then taught college, worked in my CPA firm that was my own CPA, and then just came to this in a kind of a natural, organic way and just thought, wow, this is the coming together of a lot of different things that I'm passionate about. How did I not find this before? And I think that's very common, especially for women in our industry, that it might be a career change for them. And it's usually someone somehow introducing it to them in a way rather than them consciously seeking it out, um, where I see that a little bit different in the male population. I do see a lot of father-son teams in the fact that this industry has been around for a while. And the legacy that a father has for his son to come into the business um, is a natural one. And I'll tell a story about kind of a subtle way that sometimes women are either keep themselves out of this industry a little bit or just kind of create a role for themselves that adds a lot of value but doesn't step into the role of a financial advisor. And it was a story with an advisor who was an extremely lovely man, had grown a practice for the last 30 years, had a daughter who had been by his side in that business during that time. And he and I talked recently about um, her role in the industry. And he looked to me to say, Susan, could you give her some guidance? So I'm thinking, this is wonderful. This is a father who's looking at his daughter as his legacy and his succession plan. And then he went on to say that his son-in-law, his daughter's husband, um, who was in a totally different industry that he thought he might be a good advisor within the firm as he looks to retire. And I said, oh, does he have an interest in this business? Is this something that he's doing in financial services? And he said, no, but he seemed to think that the daughter needed a male counterpart, that she knew the business backward and forward, but she could still act in her support role fully licensed as she is to her husband, who was a complete novice. And it just hurt my heart uh, to hear that, that such a kind, diligent, long-standing financial advisor who saw the capabilities of his daughter, but still felt like there was a limitation relative to her working as an independent female in a male-dominated world. He spoke about her concern about her physical safety, about um, meeting with clients alone, and some things that just felt very unfortunate and yet very well-meaning and very true to his heart on wanting to protect his daughter. So I think there's some subtleties. Andrew, maybe you and I grew up in a household where things were pretty egalitarian. Everybody pitches in, everybody does their stuff. You become a very capable, confident person. Um, and yet there's an awful lot of um, worlds out there where there's still a hierarchy that says men do this and women do this. Um, and women quite often adhere to that and don't challenge it. 
they know they're adding value, but they don't ask for that next step. So I got here as many women do on a very uh, windy path with no clear direction. And once you get into this industry and love it, then I think a lot of women find a very clear direction on, um, on knowing how they want to run a practice and things like that. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's really interesting, Susan, on how, like, I think what you kind of shared there is really two sides of it. Like just how, how a father could, you know, miss and not even see the opportunity, but then how sometimes we as women do the same thing to ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of times. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you this morning is just to kind of, you know, get those experiences because in my experience, and it's been a little bit different and I've always worked in the corporate side of it, but yet still very much male dominated. You know, what I've found, whether it's been personally and, or just working with, with, you know, men and women, you know, and leading different, you know, both genders over the years is that a lot of times women are willing to take the risk. You know, they're not willing to, you know, put themselves out there. Um, I've also seen a lot of times over the years that we sometimes are looking to emulate in a male dominated industry like ours. We look to emulate men versus who are we and what do we bring to the table more of that authentic self. Yeah. And I think we sometimes avoid our, I'll say our female tendencies, you know, what, what makes us unique, what could maybe even connect us to our clients. We think we need to, to hide or to keep out of the business world. So anyway, you know, I think for me that a lot of those things wraps up into our own confidence and what, you know, having our own backs and kind of our willingness to do that. But anyway, I'm um, interested in kind of your viewpoint and, you know, what experiences you've had, you shared a great one there, what you've learned um, that you'd share with other females in this industry that are you know, maybe getting started or maybe, you know, have been in here for, been in our industry for three, four, five years. And, you know, maybe they want to be more independent or found their own, you know, start their own firm. What would you, advice would you give them? Sure. Uh, I think three to five years in, you're just starting to kind of get your feet underneath you. There's so much to learn in this industry. And if you're not a lifelong learner, I think it can be a challenging industry because there's just the industry is changing all the time. The, the investment tools we use are changing all the time. So I feel like three to five years in, you're just starting to really understand the value that you might be able to bring. And I think it depends too where you are in your life on if you say, well, I really want to grow. Um, I think we define that differently. The industry is really specific about what growth is, put numbers on the board, increase production serve more clients, bring in more assets. They have very clear kind of competitive goal-oriented metrics. Um, And if you buy into that, boy, it's going to be challenging. And I always encourage people, don't ever compete with your colleagues. Always just compete with yourself, what growth means to you. It might mean taking a little bit more time off. It might mean if you're a younger female advisor or male advisor starting a family and making a balance Um, within that and yet realize with the balance of of, uh, at home and with work that your income will probably reduce and be comfortable with that. That might be what your growth looks like. Be careful about reading the charts on who's in the top 100 this month or something else that's a bit of an artificial measuring stick 
Um, because maybe everyone's doing beautifully. And you say, well, I didn't beat that person. Well, was that my goal to beat one of my colleagues on some artificial list? Part of those lists are out there to keep advisors competitive. So I would say when you think about growth, look at what you really enjoy. I talk to advisors a lot about look at what you do in your day that you don't like and figure out how to not do that anymore. If it still needs done, figure out how to delegate it, figure out how to get a strategic partner that can come in with that skill set. There's too much for a financial advisor to do for them to be able to wear all of those hats. So just be very, very specific about how you want to grow and then talk with others that have done the same. There's plenty of great um, individuals and thought leaders out there, but also our peers. Part of the broker-dealer that I uh, was with previously and that I'm with now, part of what I looked for in a broker-dealer was a very collaborative sharing environment. There's plenty of competitiveness in the wirehouse world and things like that where people are very close to the best on kind of their trade secrets. My goodness, this is a world of abundance. There's opportunity out there. We can share with others and it doesn't take from our own plate. So I just encourage those to find those that speak their own voice ask them how they've done it, um, and then start to kind of define what works for you. Um, some individuals, if they have the wherewithal and it's appropriate for them in their practice, they'll purchase another practice, meaning someone will be retiring or stepping away from the business. They want to kind of turn their clients over to someone that they trust, and they'll grow in that fashion, just as if you were a restaurant owner and you opened a new location for your restaurant. So they can grow in that way. They can grow by adding a new client base to say, I, I've kind of specialized in this type of client base. Should I expand into multi-generational? Should I expand in uh, more of a, a financial planning engagement? Do I need to increase my certifications or my licenses to become more knowledgeable and to be able to serve clients in a different way? So I ask people to do some self-reflection first. See what you don't like about your day and don't try to get better at things you don't do well, but try to really stay in the zone all the time. It, it protects your confidence in many ways. When you're doing what you love every day, the time just goes quickly um, and people sense it. They sense that you love what you do and then just find other people to do the things that you don't like to do. Uh, makes for a great collaborative team, but there's lots of ways to grow. I think you've got to figure out. And if you're in the corporate world, Val, as you said, we do see a lot more women in the corporate world than in the independent financial advisor space, you know, to hang your shingle and go out and have one client at a time. Um, you, It takes a lot to do that. And the corporate world can give a sense of structure um, that sometimes people need that structure. And then at some point, maybe after having that structure, someone has the ability to move out. And so if you're even in that more structured corporate setting, whether you're working for a larger firm or you're in a support role or whether you're working within a broker dealer or an RIA and you say, I think I'm ready to kind of uh, be a little bit more independent and call my own shots. Talk to those that do are doing that and it may be transitioned from where you are to where you want to be and then realize it's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. So don't whine about it. Do what needs to be done to get it done. Um, and move it forward. So hopefully that's helpful. That, you know, I, for me, two big takeaways for that is uh, one, that abundance, that mindset. I think you talked a lot about that is, you know, where do you compete? Um, and not that competing is bad, but it's putting that competition and that mindset and directing it in the right way and how, what that means for you. The other thing I think that's so interesting is how you've explained it. 
this industry in a lot of ways is custom made for women who want to ebb and flow within their career based on what's going on. And so it really um, isn't um, perceived that way, but yet it is so true when you really want to look and say, okay, right now I want to ramp up, or maybe for whatever reason, I want to you know, take a step back and focus in on what you like. It's such a, um, it's so interesting how it's set up to be that for so many of us women. And yet we don't take advantage of it. Yeah. Is it, is it the, um, uh, I guess what I'm saying here is that for, for people outside looking to come in the, uh, the general, you could call it, um, pitch as it were that people have to, you know, to, let's say to a guy is, Hey, you're, you're a real go-getter. You could do great over here. Cause you've got the, you got the eye of the tiger. You've got to make the move over. And you know, that guy's, yeah, I do. You're right. I am the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm going to do it. And, and that seems to be a common pitch, but that's the wrong message. Because it's not that um, it is the uh, the ebb and flow, the style, the you know you 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 control the journey. Hashtag Cambridge, pay for this. Um, <laughs> but so what what are um, in in uh, from your viewpoint, Susan? If if you're having that kind of conversation with somebody, you do find someone who is you know very talented, intelligent. And you know they 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 do have the eye of the tiger. Um, what should that messaging be like as opposed to, or, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Obviously we go, you know, you know, different strokes for different folks, but you know, but, but what, but how should that feel? How should that be different? Well, I think part of what you said there, and I, I joke when I go to women conferences or I'll talk with some of my female colleagues and it's really a bit, I'll, I'll preface this by saying it really is uh, my, cautionary tale to women, not to men, but I'll say, you know, all of us have been in a room with a man who has confidence that way outstrips his skills, meaning that he comes in with a broad chest and, and, and a confident air. And when you have a conversation or you see the skill set beneath it, you say, well, he doesn't know half what I know. And women will recognize that. And I'll say, well, women, why aren't you owning that confidence then? Why aren't you asking for what you deserve? Why don't you ask to value what you do? at a higher level. He didn't diminish you, you did. You came in with less confidence in that. So when we communicate to women about what's this industry have to offer, as opposed to, you know, you can put numbers on the board and it'll stroke your competitive ego, is to really say, you also need to own your growth. So that's not about kumbaya and chatting with other women and saying, you know, aren't we wonderful or aren't we disadvantaged? It's neither of those things. But in some respects, it's saying, what does it take in a very practical, quantifiable way for you to create the quality of life and the service and the relationship with it? Remember, we're a service industry. We are here to serve individual families and households who rely on us for their financial goals. Women are a a very service-oriented bunch. And so to say, if you're not quantifying what you do, if you're not really adding value, then I'm not sure what you're doing other than having really nice conversations with people. So it's that combination of saying you want to serve people. Well, then, 
you know, I say, put your big girl panties on and start doing it. Quantify what you're doing. Add value to the family or the household you serve. Charge an appropriate amount for it. And then ask for what you need within this industry, whether that's asking for time off when you have for your first child. You know, it's not some terrible thing to have a child and then go back and go to work and serve your clients in a different way. Ask for what you need because you have a role that quite honestly, the American consumer and the investor and individual households need our service. There are not enough of us in this industry. Um, And so in some respects, and I mean males and females, there are not enough financial advisors for the financial needs that families have. There's an abundance of information that ends up being misinformation and just a lot of noise out there. And people need a guide on that path to get them there. So step up in that service role and then quantify how well you're being compensated for the service you bring. And it'll be a win-win. I think women and the next generation of advisors are very, very mindful that they're not necessarily putting numbers on the board. They want to have meaningful work that they do each day. They want to feel proud when they talk to their children about what they do at work or when they're Zooming from their kitchen table uh, during this time and their children are in the household and they're serving a family on their financial needs. Younger advisors and those that really care about our industry that haven't kind of bought into the numbers side of it recognize that this can be a passion and you can really add a service. So I would encourage all of us in the industry to stop doing that year ago getter. You can really, you know, have a really strong income. Of course, you can and should have that, but you can also serve people. And that's what we're here for. You know, I wonder as you're sharing that. well, I took a, a lot of different notes, but I, you know, I love that, you know, we have to hold our, ourselves accountable um, to what we do there. Um, the other thing that made me think about with this global pandemic and all of us, you know, working from home and our kids and families, you know, hearing us, I think I've had different conversations where people are like, oh my gosh, you know, my eight-year-old is quoting, you know, whatever it is. And I think it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, maybe before where our kids didn't really know what we've done or how we impact, you know, things outside the world. If, if we'll, um, because they've had this opportunity to hear us in our homes, do what we do and serve others, how it'll impact them over time. There could be some good that maybe comes out I of all so this. Too. Mm-hmm. But, I so too. Um, I guess real quick, because we're getting uh, close on time. I wanted to ask a couple more questions. You know, I think, You've and you've kind of alluded to some of this, but I mean, what do you think the biggest um, misconception that um, people have about our industry and getting into it that you'd want to share? I don't know if they're misconceptions. I think when I see young grads, I'll touch on that. I think those that um, maybe have the opportunity for a mid uh, career change don't realize that they could really do this well. Um, I come from an entrepreneurial and an educational background. And anytime you're someone who can share and hopefully educate, I think we're missing kind of that. They think I must be, I have to be an econ major or I have to have been a finance major. I can't have been a psychology major or something like that. That's a, I just think that's completely false. A good portion of this industry is about finding strategic partners that bring us the best investment tools, being able to uh, be a lifelong learner to interpret that and to kind of connect that for our clients and make that connection. So I think there's a whole miss on that mid-career shift. And I'd say on the opposite end of that spectrum, when I see a new CFP, a certified financial planner come out of college because they took the courses in school and they come out 
with again, just feeling like, hey, I just graduated and I know a lot. And I think, oh my goodness, <laughs> you're scaring me. You know so little mm-hmm. um, in some respects. So that person needs to figure out what their role is. And, and I see some young graduates. Um, my concern is that they have not in an independent uh, financial planning space. We're here to help our clients set and reach goals. We're here to set and reach goals ourselves. And quite often I do see some new graduates come out from college where everyone else has set their goals for them so far for the last 22 or 24 years. What time to go to class, what's on the syllabus, what to get done, um, exactly how to do it and what considers to be good work versus not. And in the in the more subjective world of uh, kind of out there in the real financial planning world, uh, that's not going to get it. And make sure when you join a firm or you um, come on that you look as, as long-serving financial advisors do, how do I add value? Walk into that firm saying, how do I add value? And whatever that firm needs from me at this time is how I'm going to add value. Not how I think I'm smart about something I just learned in a class last semester, but how do I add value, add value and speak up at times, but also recognize how little you know. And I think it takes three to five years in the industry to realize how little you knew on day one um, and how much you can learn, even what you don't like about the industry. If you walk in and I see very idealistic young people consider coming into this industry and I thought, boy, we don't want to take the shine off of it for you, but um, this is the, the real world in some respects and it's not always perfect. So when you engage with a colleague, look at what they do that you like and look at what they do that you don't like and learn from both. Um, but just realize that it does take a while to kind of get your feet under you in this industry. Susan, how'd you feel um, if you started in the industry more under a um, uh, an apprentice and or mentorship model? Uh, I know when I came in working for um, a major organization, it was, well, we gave you the four weeks of product training isn't that good enough? Um, yeah. And I, I sought out help and, and engage. And it was very odd in the office. People were just like, why? What are you doing? But I found that, you know, that meant basically it was a forced mentorship um, helped very dramatically. And, um, you know, if, if you had your druthers to start the thing again, um, what do you do? You like that idea, you know, apprentice uh, mentorship, or more like a law firm that, uh, yeah. you know, well, you're an associate. One day you'll be the partner, but look, yes, you're all high flying and just came out of law school. But yeah, well, and realize in the legal field, they're adding value. They're doing research. They're acting almost in a paralegal role. Sometimes they're doing things that aren't. When, when I hear a new advisor say, well, where's my office? You don't have a client. Why do you need an office? Right. And so when I look at kind of that starting attorney or someone who starts in, in that apprenticeship role, part of the challenge in the independent financial advisor space, rather than the corporate space, the corporate space will bring them in and kick them out if they don't do well. And an independent advisor is serving individual families And they need to trust that that person will stick around. And we do know that young people in any industry change careers, change jobs. They flow in and out. So there is a distrust of that younger generation in some respects that they're really dedicated to their craft, that they really have figured it out, that they're going to stick around. It's a lot of time and effort for a team to bring in a junior. And so when a junior comes in, make sure that no matter what you're asked to do, 
you add value so that you can see if this is an industry you want to stay with and this is a kind of a career and a firm that might be a good long fit for you. But there is a there is a generational shift where younger individuals somehow feel like they're probably not being as successful perhaps if they haven't changed firms in the last three years. And I think, okay, if you have that wanderlust and you want to move on, don't be surprised that the the firm that brought you in for a couple of years is going to be a little concerned that they're spending time and effort and you're not going to stick around. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to act like we all want to mentor junior associates, that we all want the best for them. We do, but we don't want them using our time and effort to then move on in three years. So I think there has to be a balance in that of that person understanding. If you want to treat this as kind of an apprenticeship to learn from us, add value while you're here, because we know you might not be here in a few years. We'd like you to be, but we're not too, we're not unrealistic or idealistic enough to think that's the case. So I think it's just a different environment. People can live in different parts of the world. They don't stay in the same town. Um, and we are sometimes a very brick and mortar type of industry. So I think it's changing in a way that with COVID this year, that we would not have expected that it's going to really shift our industry in a very positive fashion. So I'm excited to see kind of whether that flexibility allows people to still feel very flexible in their growth as a professional without kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and moving on to a totally different firm or a different part of the country. So I'd be curious, curious to see. That would be my message. Realize the value add and the hesitancy someone might have um, so you got to prove yourself every day, like all of us do. You know, it, it's interesting, Susan, a lot of what you shared, you know, the secret to success that you talked about earlier on, I don't know if it was a secret to success, but it's, it's a relationship business. And, and that re- those relationships are clearly with building relationships with your clients, but that goes a lot of different areas, whether that's building a relationship with the team that you're working on, as you were just talking about. Or, you know, you you also said a lot about partnerships and different things. So I think um, if you enjoy the relationship business, if that's one of the things that's drawn you to this business, you can use that skill and use that value that you're building in all different types of relationships with your clients, but with everybody else. So that's some really good, good thought. I took a lot of notes, Susan. So thank you <laughs> for that. Um, I have to go back and listen to it myself. Oh, so, well, let me ask you um, a final question. Uh, It's a question we've been asking all of our guests. And, and that is what is a favorite habit or something that you do regularly that you'd want to share with us? Um, Habits, you know, I'm big on takes 21 days to form a new habit. So I won't touch on whether I ate well this morning or worked out before we talked or any of those typical January kind of things we might talk about. Um, I have to say, I usually form a new habit based on something I don't like. Uh, Something's not going exactly the way I'd like, and I'd like things to go the way I'd like. So um, I'm big on reading a lot of thought leaders, and I was uh, in strategic coach for a lot of years. And so I'd say a new habit that I'm trying to implement, it's kind of uh, trying to turn something new on in my brain, I think we're, there's a term that they used in strategic coach called, and it's probably used by others as well, called a rugged individualist. And I feel like uh, typical financial advisors, we do tend to say, hey, I can get this done. I can get this done. And Dan Sullivan, who's the founder of strategic coach, and I think Benjamin Hardy was the co-author, 
a new book that just came out was um, Who Not How. And then there's a subtitle I don't remember, but it's about accelerating teams. And so I'll get stuck on something and I'm frustrated and I'm working on a technology or a software. And I think, how am I going to get this done? And my day's so full. And I think, oh, it's not how am I going to get done? Who is going to assist me in getting this done? Um, and so procrastination is one of those things that when your plate is so full, you can put something off. So I've kind of combined those two, I guess. Procrastination, I think when you put something off, you gain confidence by setting a goal and, and doing it. And when you procrastinate, I think it chips away at confidence a little bit. And I'm very mindful about protecting my confidence um, and what I kind of let in my head. So I've tried not to procrastinate, get it done right then. And if I can't instantly get it done, I say, who can get it done? It doesn't have to be me, not how can I get it done? I, I And I find myself, I, I read the first two chapters and I thought, oh, I could put it down right now. That's going to change my world right now. Um, and I got stuck on something on a software with a trading platform I was working on and I was doing it and doing it. And I went home at the end of the day and I thought, this is ridiculous. And, and I had, then I called the tech support for the software company and in 60 seconds that who got it done rather than me figuring out how am I going to get this done. And so I've just tried to, every time I get stuck, even for one or two minutes, if I get stuck on something, I say, who can, who can get me unstuck on this? So that's a habit that, um, you know, as independent people, we're used to getting stuff done ourselves. And so I'm going to continue to look. It's about accelerating teams and how to really bring other people. And we've got tons of great strategic partners that we work with. There's no reason why we should have to do things on our own. So that's my habit. I'm going to try to that keep so, the direction. That, that's so good. I've also read that book. And I think like you, I'm like, after you read the first couple of chapters, which is so interesting because Dan Sullivan doesn't actually write the book. It's, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's the who, not the how. So he didn't have to learn how to write a book to have a book, be author a book. Um, yeah. But um, but such a quick trigger and the tagline even who not how. So it's it's that's a great um, habit that you're looking to, you know, find that that turning point in your mind where you think a different question. You yeah, think, ask yourself a different question so you can get a better and different answer quicker. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. Well, thank you. I'll. Uh, um, like I said, lots of great stuff. It was a great conversation. And I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah appreciate you joining us. It's good, well, we'll, good to spend time with you too. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for spending time with us. We hope that, uh, um, uh, that you know, we'll, we'll pick up some steam and we'll be able to do this again uh, sometime soon. Um, it, it, it's wonderful. We love having the, uh, uh, the views, the, uh, uh, the opinions, uh, insight, and so on. Um, we, it was really good. It was really good. You know, you know, I, I, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Val, maybe you and I are just building our own personal echo chamber with this, but uh, everything that we've heard thus far with Susan and some of our other guests, we're just like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, but guess what? We run the show. So that's the way that it goes. Yes. We, we only bring on the people that we like and that, uh, you know, that uh, we believe, you know, ha have it all together. We'll say. <laughs> Happy you know. to be on the short list. Absolutely. Without other than the whole Browns thing. Um, but that's okay. Uh, but uh, Susan, thanks so much for being on. Um, Val, great time as always. And uh, we look forward to the next time. We'll see everybody next time. Uh, next time we meet. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Hike. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker dealer. 
and member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. TAG Advisors and Cambridge are separate entities.